0: Do you remember a time before GPS was able to help you navigate where to go? I remember having heated debates with my wife around directions when we would be heading to a place that we didn't know, we'd be heading into the city and trying to make the right turns and directions and, and getting the wrong lanes and, and getting all upset. And then along came this miraculous device called the GPS. And all of a sudden, this thing that had a name, I used to call it the Marriage Saver 2000, was able to help us navigate where to go. Now, I know that there has been times, though, when I've been reliant on this incredible device. Um, For those that don't know what a GPS, before the days of smartphones, uh, we used to have a unit that would tell us where the maps were. Now we just use our phones. But the GPS would would sometimes even today you know where you need to go you may have done it multiple times but for some reason the gps not trying to do anything wrong but has decided that because of roadworks because of traffic because of time because of shortening the distance it tells you to go a different way you try that different way only to find yourself totally lost I remember one time in Sydney with a, a bunch of friends who were coming up to visit us when we were living there, that we went over the Sydney Harbour Bridge the first time, which was awesome. We got to experience the bridge. When we went over it for the third time, realising we keep going back, that there was something terribly wrong with where the GPS was trying to take us as we we're heading to another well known location. And every time we go over, you had to start paying the tolls. And it was It was costing us money, it was costing us time, and we were frustrated. And we had to make a decision. We know we want to head in that direction, but the voice that is telling us where to go seems to be wrong. There's something that's not aligning with what we know, where we know we need to go and the other voices around us. Today, as we continue our series with the images of God, it's about what voice do we listen to? Maybe you've heard this voice. How can a loving God send people to hell? There is no way that God can forgive me for what I've done. God has no time for me. Why would God even consider loving me? I'm a big fan of Jesus, but this God of the Old Testament's all rules and regulations. After what I have done, I don't even deserve God's love. God is distant, and I could never know him. If you've heard those voices, if those voices have come out of your heart or your mind, then this message is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that through your word this morning, that we would clear the voices that would lead us away from the truth of who you are, Would you speak to us through love and acceptance as we look to you for guidance? Would you reveal to us your nature and your image in Jesus' name? Amen. We see really early on in Scripture in the book of Exodus, we see that God's people have been just led out of Egypt amazing things are taking place that the sea has parted and they've walked through on dry land as the army was pursuing them and and the sea came back and and destroyed the army that was trying to to capture them and put them in slavery and And because of that, they are now free and they're walking. And now they've gone to this huge mountain. And this mountain just rises up in front of them. They see that their ambassador, Moses, heads up the mountain. And this cloud engulfs the mountain. It's like this holy place where God was. And then they're down the bottom of this mountain waiting. And they're waiting. And they wait. I'm not sure the exact amount of time, but it's about 12 chapters. And they get bored. Meanwhile Moses is there and he's being given God's instructions on how to live a life that will make sure that their relationship with God is restored this this set of instructions called the Ten Commandments and we see in verse thirty two just twelve chapters later that the people are restless and they're, they're looking around for God they're not sure where to focus and we see that in verse thirty two verse four he says that that the other ambassador, Aaron, he, he took what they had made for him, all this gold from their earrings and all the plunder that they've gotten from Egypt when they, they, they left. They took what they handed to him and made an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with tools, and they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, it wasn't that they were totally rejecting God because they knew who took them out of Egypt. These are your gods, or other translations said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. They've just been through the, the Red Sea that had parted. They knew who led them out. But what were they looking to for their image of God? They were looking to the things around them. They were distracted. And they tried to limit God to one of his creations, that the image of a calf. And we know that the irony of this passage is coming down from the mountain is Moses with these guidelines. And the second guideline for living a life says, don't create any images and worship them out of the, the materials that God created. Don't make something out of gold. God made gold. Don't make something in the shape of a calf because God made calves. You can't contain what God is by trying to limit him to his created things. They were looking at what was around them to get their image of God. The very next chapter in Exodus 33, we see that Moses doesn't look at the things around him, but takes them into account while looking to God. Exodus 33 and verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Important words. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, directly to God, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The reason he's saying this is, look what they've just done, the previous verse in creating a calf. Remember, remember these are your people. Help me to lead them. Guide me so that I may guide them. Moses said to him, If your presence, uh, Moses then, if your presence do not go with us, then send me up from here. How will anyone know that if you are pleased with me and with your people, unless you go with us? So when people look at us, if your presence is with us, when people look at us, they see that there is a God, that it goes before them, that is setting them apart. What else will be distinguished me and my people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And Moses said to... uh, God, Sorry, start again. We can't edit this. This one's live. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. We see a contrast where in the very previous verse... Aaron is looking to the things around him to get his image of God. And it falls incredibly short. Moses goes directly to God for his image. And because of that, he goes to the Creator. And God in turn says, I am with you. I will give you rest and comfort. I know you by name. I know you. I created you. Of course I want to go with you. Of course, I will set you apart and I will protect you. You are my my ambassador and these are my people. And they will be known not because of their strength, but because of me as I go with them. So the question for us as we dive into today's message is, is where do we look when we really need to get the image of God? And today's message is is twofold. We look to Scripture, and we also look to Jesus. You see, to see God, the easiest way that we can can understand who He is is look at the way that He acted when He walked on this earth as Jesus Christ. To see God, we look to Jesus. In John chapter 1, in verse 14, it says, "...the Word..." The Word in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And the Word became flesh, in verse 14, and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, from whom the Father, full of grace and truth. To see who God is, we look to Jesus. John 14 says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You have seen God, you have seen the Father because you have seen me. They are one and the same. And when we look at Jesus, we realise that some of these other voices, these directions that tell us where to go or who God is, seem to, to not hold up. They they don't support themselves. And some of the voices, how could God ever forgive me for what I have done? We turn to God's word and what we see is that we see a forgiving God in scripture. A God in John 8, that, that when a woman was caught doing something terribly wrong, was dragged before the judges, the judges who would accuse her and send a punishment and the punishment for the crime in that time, at that point in history and that culture was death. And when they dragged her before Jesus, trying to see what Jesus would do also, Jesus took took something and knelt down and started writing in the dust of the ground and started writing these these issues and problems and and wrong things. And slowly the the, the accusers, those that were going to pass judgment, see what had been written and thought, oh, I've done that. I can't pass judgment when I've done that. And they, they left. And left in the room is Jesus and the woman that's been accused. And he says, he stood up and he said to the woman in John 8, Where are your accusers? Do not even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And with her life on the line, knowing what the consequence was, she looks at Jesus and as he speaks to her, he says, Neither do I. I don't condemn you. But stop doing what you're doing. Don't do the wrong thing again. Go and sin no more. But I, I'm not going to pass judgment on you. I forgive you. We, we see likewise that, that in Genesis 18, we see this, this mighty man of God known, known as Abraham, who's in this city full of people doing totally wicked things, terrible things. And this this mighty man of God is wrestling with God saying, Hey God, if if there is 50 people in this city, will you spare the city? Will you forgive them if they turn away from what they're doing and they show their sorry and they turn to you? Will you forgive them? What What if no one turns and there's just 50 people that are doing the right thing? Will you destroy everyone? Because God said, I'm going to destroy this city because everyone is evil and doing terrible things. And God with compassion, says to Abraham, yeah, for 50 people. Abraham humbly, as the the story progresses, says, if I may humbly ask that you would hear me once again, what about 40 people? 30, and and he gets the number down. And sadly, they they get to this really lowly number, but there's not that number in the city And the people there are doing such wicked things that God says, I'm going to destroy that, but I'm going to save you. You go to this town, I'll protect this town. They're doing some weird stuff too, but I'm going to protect this town, but I'm going to destroy the evilness. Contrast between a story that that is well known, and we, we say it to our children all the time about a guy called Jonah, who was told to go to a city of Nineveh and said, stop doing the wicked things that you've done. And that city understanding that the power of God and the evil that they've been doing totally turned themselves around and God saved them. They saved them from from that terrible thing because God is a forgiving God. He is a God that forgives us no matter what evil things we've done. He will forgive us. He's a just God, but he's a forgiving God, a loving God. He's a God that knows us Intimately. In Psalm 139, and verse 13, 14, it says, For I created you in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know full well. Luke 12, 7 says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is a God who created us. He knows us by name, as we heard in Moses He says, I know you by name. I created you. I knitted you together. I know the hairs on your head. I know more about you than you know about yourself. But just because I know you doesn't mean that God is going to force himself or tell us what to do or dictate because God is a gentleman. God is someone that has given us free will and will never impose himself on you in in any way that would be abusive or, or destructive or negative in any way. Because God is a gentleman. In Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, in the the very first chapters of the the entry of God's word, we see that God gave us free will to choose or not to choose him. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see that that Adam and Eve had chosen not to to obey, not to, to have that relationship and damage the relationship with God. And even in that moment, as God's heart was breaking, when, when his creation chose not to listen to him, when his, his creation chose to rebel and reject him, still was a gentleman. And as he walked in that garden, knowing full well what took place, the, the Lord calls to the man in Genesis chapter 9, where are you? He's God. He knew where he was, but he gave him the opportunity. He didn't force himself. He didn't cast judgment in the moment. He goes, where are you? Adam, he he answers and said, I heard you in the garden, was afraid because I was naked, because I I did the wrong thing and I broke the relationship. And you can see that the following words where God's heart is just breaking. Revelation, the very final book in God's word, in verse three, it says, so here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. I'm not going to barge in the door. Ever since creation, I have been a gentleman. I've given you free will. I'm still giving you free will. You can choose me. I am standing at the door. I am knocking. If you accept me, if you accept me into your heart, into your home that is your life, then I will eat with you. I will be with you. I'll celebrate with you and I will help you. But I'm not going to enforce or push my way in. I'm going to wait to be invited. I stand and wait at the door and knock. And wherever you are in your life, I accept you where you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what things that you think may have stopped me from having a relationship with you. I accept you as you are. John 4 Verse 7, we see a Samaritan woman who came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, But if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Samaritans who had had broken the covenant of the chosen people of Israel back in history and and chosen to do the wrong thing and they'd they'd gone and lived a different way. And so because of that, Jews and, and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. And this Samaritan woman not only was born into a culture And into a class and a race and a people group. But it also made fairly unwise choices with her life. And Jesus accepts her as she is. And in doing that, absolutely changes her world and gives her purpose. And helps her face her fears going back to where she'd come from. He is an accepting God. And it doesn't matter who it is, if you're, you're well-known or what's happening on the inside, even the marginalized, even those on the edge of society, Jesus has compassion for and accepts and loves. In Luke 17, verse 13, we see these that are on the outcasts, the, the lepers, those that are sick, those that are unclean today, it'd be those with the virus, those that, that you, you want to push away, Jesus goes, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, different translations and different versions and different books of, of the gospel, that so he had pity on them. And so he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and as they went, out of obedience they were cleansed. The priests were the equivalent of doctors at the time. And the ten lepers that were, were living outside, they were outcasts, they were pushed out, Jesus accepts and changes their lives radically for the better. You see, if you want to find the image of God, it doesn't matter if you're in Genesis or if you're in Revelation or if you're anywhere in between, we see see, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, it's the God who, who wouldn't impose himself on Adam and Eve, yet loved them and broke their heart for them and clothed them and fed them and, and cared for them. Even in their sickness is the same God that in the New Testament will knock on the door as a gentleman that, that will heal the sick and love those that are lost. He is the God of the Old and the New, is the same God, yes, today today and forever he is the alpha and omega he is the beginning and the end he is the loving god that even while he hung on the cross with those that executed him he looked down on the ones that nailed the nails in his hand and says forgive them they don't know what they've done this is a god of love a god of forgiveness a god of acceptance that gave his life for us so that we could have a relationship with him. If you want to see the image of God, you look gotta look at God's word, and when you do that you see, and we're gonna put on the screen that He is a rock that He is the warrior. He is the peacemaker. He is the vineyard owner. He is the builder. He is the king. He is the father. He is the husband. He is the potter. He is the judge. He is the good shepherd. He is the forgiving father. He is the gift giver. He is the healer. He is the God of compassion. He is the God of empathy and grace. He is the God who knows us intimately. He is the God who is trustworthy. He is the God who pursues. He is the God who provides. He is the God that is all-powerful. This is the image of God. A God that gave everything for us. A God that knows us and loves us. Our challenge this week is to look at the image of God we don't see that by the things around us. Are calves bad things? No, calves are amazing. We love the creation. If you saw the, the pre-service show, we saw people's pets, people's animals in the foyer, and and they were amazing. You see the deep connection with family and animals as people steward. The creation that God has made for us. The elements that God gives us, plastic and steel and leather, they're good things, but they're not God. Last week we talked about how we get distorted images of God. And I know the wrestle for, for many this week has been, well, I want to be a good parent. Does that mean that I'm going to give a distorted image of God? And the answer is that anything that isn't directly God will give a distorted image. It doesn't mean you're a bad parent. I love my kids. I give my life for my kids. But if they look to me for their image of God, it's going to be distorted no matter my best intentions. The image of God comes from God's word. The word was made flesh we look to Jesus and as Moses did we can access God through the Holy Spirit when we pray to him the only way that we will find the true image of God is by going directly to him church is good pastors are good small groups are good but we're not God we're human we're going to fail I want to encourage you to look at the one that never failed this week. The challenge for us today is to to know God is to look to Jesus. To know God is to look to Jesus. So I want to challenge us to read one of the Gospels this week. The Gospels, if you're new to faith, are found in the New Testament. It's about two-thirds of the way through, and it starts with a, a book in the Bible called Matthew. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all tell the story of when Jesus walked this earth. They all tell that story from a different perspective. But it tells a story of a God that loved us so much that even though the relationship between us and Him was broken, that he so wanted to restore that that he came to earth to fix that himself through his son. I want you then, after you've read the gospel, one of the gospels is to reflect on what you see. I want you to reflect on the image of God that is represented through Jesus Christ. Someone that loved someone that cared, someone that even when they were tired, as crowds followed them and they tried to retreat, they said, "Ah," and loved the people. Someone that valued quiet time with God, but loved people, loved people for who they are, where they are, that healed the sick and fed the poor, that told truth and stood up for injustice, that loved, that wept, that was vulnerable yet strong. Someone that we can look to to, to see what it is to wrestle with the, the wrestles that we have within us. But someone that we can see actually cares about us so much so that he gave his life for us, forgiving all the way. This week, Is a week of celebration in the series. Because you are loved. You are chosen. You are created. You are not an accident. You have purpose. You have hope and a future. Because God loves you. God created you. God does not make accidents. You are here for a purpose, you are here for a reason. You have an anointing on your life. You are set apart. You are holy because of what God has done for you through his son. The image of God is something to embrace, not to run away from. Something to bask in, not something to to try and isolate and compartmentalize. And as God's image is revealed time and time again, we become more refined to be the men and women of God that he's called us to be. For God is love. God is love. This week, I want you to know the God of love loves you. Let's find Him in Scripture and enjoy the world He's given us as we care for it, as we steward it, and as we protect it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we look to the image of God, we don't need to look any further than your Son, Jesus Christ, that showed us what it was to protect, to love, to care, to embrace those that were outcast, to, to spend time with those that were lost and lonely. Lord, who never lost sight of the purpose of your creation on this earth, the bigger picture of spreading the good news, the gospel, that God wants to restore our relationship back to him. Lord, as we look at what love looks like in Scripture, may we see you. May we be obedient to that, but may we bask this week in your love, your unconditional, unwavering, unshakable love that has forgiven us so much that the things that we are forgiven for are just wiped clean. They are cast away. They are taken away once and forever. We thank you. We thank you that when we pray to you, we have direct access through Jesus Christ to a loving God. May we experience you this week through Scripture through prayer, and through the body of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.